Whoops, I'm just gonna knock everything over. That sounds like fun. And it can't fit. Okay. <coughs> Your air conditioning's not blowing off all my music. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us at First Baptist Church. Uh, we are so thankful to have you here and having more people here to join us on Sunday mornings. If you are at home, wherever you are, if you're watching online, we are also so thankful that you're here to join us to praise the Lord, to worship Him, and to hear from Pastor Bayes from uh, God's Word this morning. So wherever you are, whether you're here with us in person or you're at home, would you please stand with us as we praise the Lord? Blessed be. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Aren't you glad you're in God's house today? We welcome you at First Baptist Church here in Coronado. And if you're online on Facebook or YouTube, thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Let's begin today uh, inviting Jesus Christ to be our guest of honor. What do you say? Let's bow our heads together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning with a heartfelt desire to bring honor to your name, to glorify Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of Almighty God, the one who came to die for us and for our sins, that we might have everlasting life by putting our faith and trust in him. Lord, we thank you for the multiple blessings that you give us every single day, the ability just to be able to take in a breath of air, the, the fact that so far as we know, everyone here is, uh, is COVID-19 free and testing negative, and so we thank you for that. God, we pray that you would bless our state, bless our nation, Give us revival, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. you. may be seated here in the auditorium, and we're excited. We're happy. I saw the light, and blessed be the name, but I got a piece of downer information for you this morning. This great family right here is leaving us just because Uncle Sam says they have to. So Steve and Brenda and Julian and Allie and Georgia are going to be packing up later this week and moving off. And so we want you to know we love you guys, and we're going to be praying for you, and we hope you'll come back and see us again real soon, all right? So God bless you guys. Be praying uh, for them. They would appreciate that very, very much. Let me give you a couple of announcements. <clears throat> the Chronological Bible Study of the New Testament, how, how's that going, guys? You had a pretty good group in there, huh? How many did you have? Do you know? Ten, I think. Ten? All right. Praise the Lord. If you want to go through the New Testament chronologically, kind of, you know, the, the Bible, the books of the New Testament are not arranged in chronological order when they were written. They're, they're in an order that, you know, the Gospels and, and, and a history book of Acts and then the epistles and so on. But if you want to study it chronologically in the order that we believe they were written, this is a great class to be able to, and you can, they can come in any time, right? <clears throat> they can start next Sunday, 845, right here in the adult classroom. Uh, so that's going on. Uh, next week, Lord willing, be preaching on a miracle, not so much faith and obedience. Today is faith, obedience, and healing. Next week is not so much faith and obedience. <clears throat> we'll talk about that. And we have communion together. So if you're wondering how that works, <clears throat> Excuse me. We have uh, cups that are individually wrapped <clears throat> with the, the element of the unleavened bread on top, so they're not touched by human hands. Well, maybe they're touched by human hands somewhere. I don't know in the process. <laughs> they didn't just pick them off trees, but uh, the look cups and individual wafers, and we'll have those. We'll have them outside for those who are not uh, feeling comfortable about coming inside, and you can pick them up through the week, uh, but we'll be having communion together. Pray for churches to be able to worship and assemble again, we uh, got some good news from our governor this last week that <clears throat> churches will be able to meet inside again, um, up to 25% of capacity or 100, whichever is the smaller number. And that works well for us. It doesn't work so well for a lot of churches that run three and four and five and six and thousand and more. <clears throat> so pray for uh, the churches to be able to worship and be, people to be able to assemble again. Uh, let's remind the members of uh, First Baptist Church to continue to give your tithes and offerings either through the mail or online. We appreciate that. You've been so good about it, and I thank you for that. And if you need something, say something. If there's some way we can help you, we're glad to do that. We've got people who go do some shopping for you. 
if you need something done, just let us know. We'll try to uh, accommodate that. This is my bulletin article. If we had bulletins, we'd be handing them out, but we don't. So I'm going to read it to you again this week. Persecution happening now in the USA. Believe it or not, some will not call it persecution. They'll call it criminal disobedience or a misdemeanor. They will say that churches are putting people at risk by meeting. But what is really happening? A pastor friend of mine who received the Doctor of Divinity Honors on the same day that I received mine was assessed a $5,000 per service penalty last week. His name is Jack Treber up in North Valley, uh, Santa Clara area. You need to be praying for him. Five, so they had two services, so they have a $10,000 fine. Other pastors throughout our state are be, being threatened with fines and even jail time. Uh, in North County, I think in Carlsbad, <clears throat> there was a church that's been fined $500 a service. I would rather be fined $500 a service than $5,000 a service if I had a choice. I don't know about you. Uh, their crimes are having church indoors. Why? Because churches are so much more dangerous in this COVID-19 outbreak, or so says our governor. Meanwhile, abortion clinics are open, marijuana dispensaries are open, casinos are open, liquor stores are open, Walmarts are open, Home Depots are open, Kohl's is open, many restaurants are open for carryout. They're all essential, you see. They're all safe as long as they socially distance themselves and use lots of sanitizer. Oh, you can have mass protests, looting and burning of public and private buildings, and in many places you'll not be arrested or prosecuted. You may or may not have to have on masks to do so. Not with churches today, they claim. I know there's a virus. I'm not denying that. I know it can be very dangerous, but I have no de- and I have no desire to put anyone in harm's way. But our very First Amendment to the Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. All we want to do is to gather and worship, Mr. Governor. If so many others can get together in so many different circumstances, why can't we? An honest, heartfelt, hopefully uh, uh, non-offensive question for our governor to figure out. Meanwhile, uh, let's go ahead and worship him. Let's stand together and uh, sing out, uh, and let's give praise to to God in heaven. You're the only answer to the darkness. You're the only right among the wrong. You're the only hope among the chaos. You are the voice that calls me on louder than every lie. My sword in every fight, the truth will chase away the night. Your name is power over darkness, freedom for the captives, mercy for the broken.
Isn't it wonderful that when we don't know how to pray as we should, that the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us. So thankful for that. You may be seated, and I'm going to ask you in the auditorium to turn to John chapter 9. If you're watching adults online, turn to John chapter 9. But first I get a... Rebecca, where's... Right back there. Okay, good. So we've got some kids uh, in the service today. Boys and girls, I want you to listen up. Put your ears on. Did you remember to put your ears on this morning? Huh? Everybody got your ears on? Okay, listen up, because we talked last week about Jesus and how that Jesus was the Son of God and Jesus was God and how that he took upon himself a human body. And he did that because Mary was his mother and the Holy Spirit, God the Father, was his father. And so uh, he became a man. He became a human being, born to his mother, Mary, and his stepdad, Joseph. Uh, So he's more than that. He's our savior if we put our faith in him, but he's more than that. He's a prophet, and he's a priest, and he's a king. A prophet is someone who reveals God's word into our lives, the written word and the spoken word. Jesus foretold things that were going to happen, but he also explained things that were in the word of God so that people could understand them. In John 1.18, it says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son has declared him. So he's a prophet. Jesus is also a priest. And a priest is a person who's between you and God. You see, because of our sinfulness, we couldn't just walk into God's presence, boys and girls, because he's perfect. So there had to be a priest, a mediator, someone to go and in between. And Jesus is that person. I'm a preacher, but I'm not a priest. I remember one time in my old church, I heard some boys outside the door, and they were talking as they were walking by, and they said, this is where the priest lives. And I, I thought, you know, it's kind of cute, but it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't where I lived. I spent a lot of time there, but it wasn't where I lived. But I'm not a priest. I'm a preacher of the Word of God. Jesus is the only priest we need. He's the only one between us and the Father that we need. And Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So he's a prophet, he's a priest, and thirdly, boys and girls, he is a king. He rules over us, he provides for us, and he fights for us. Paul says that Jesus has to reign until he's put all the enemies under his feet. So he'll be the king of all the earth forever and ever and ever. Now, boys and girls, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in him and trust him and ask him to be your personal savior, he'll be your savior. If you haven't done that yet, you need to do that very soon. But even if people don't believe in him, he is still the prophet, the priest, and the king. And nothing and no one can ever, ever change that. Now, Julian, would you do me a favor? Do you you like ice cream? Okay, on a trip, sometimes you get give you some money to buy your sisters ice cream, maybe your dad, mom, and you. So could you, would you go ahead and take this, okay? You go ahead and take that. You keep, take care of that, and be sure to get him some ice cream. God bless you. All right. You are very welcome, my son. And Rebecca, <clears throat> if you'll tell your little girl, come see my wife, I think she might have something for her a little bit later on, too. So uh, at the end of the service, go ahead and do that. John chapter 9. Last week, Bo, I think you guys, I don't know if it was you or your wife, uh, asked, uh, referred to a book entitled Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And I went online, and there are actually a whole bunch of books written with that same or similar title by a whole bunch of different people. I've not read the book, but I heard a message by Jerry Falwell Sr., uh, where he preached the, using that same title. 
And uh, by the way, uh, coincidentally, I've also preached a sermon using that same title after I listened to Jerry Falwell preach that title. <clears throat> he had almost the same thoughts I had. Uh, <clears throat> he's preached it ahead of time. By the way, in all seriousness, uh, be praying for Liberty University. It's an incredible school. Jerry Falwell Sr. Um, in a public spotlight like no one else was for decades. No one ever, there was never any accusations of impropriety on his part. He's got to be heartbroken, heartsick over what's going on. Uh, but pray for that institution. Pray for uh, the board. I know several of the board members. Pray that God would guide them and give them wisdom. And that, uh, as my wife says, whenever there's a, a high-profile Christian leader who messes up, it gives the enemies of God an opportunity to blaspheme God. So uh, let's pray for, uh, pray for Jerry Falwell Jr. also. He, he certainly needs your prayers. Now, so anyhow, Jesus warns us of judging people by bad things that happen to them. For example, in Luke, Luke Gospel chapter 13, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So when these Galileans were making animal sacrifices, evidently Pilate put several of them to death and mingled their blood with the sacrifices that they offered in the animals. And Jesus answering them said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all other Galileans because they suffered such things? Do you really think they're worse than everyone else because of what happened to them? I tell you no or nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then he goes to verse 4 of Luke chapter 13. He says, or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Think you that they were sinners above all other men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And again, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verse 25, he said this, that you may be the children of your father who's in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on, on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust, as far as fly upward. So bad things happen to all kinds of people. Do you think my mom was a wicked, terrible sinner because she had dementia for the last uh, several years of her life? I don't. I know she was a godly woman. Do you think my dad was a wicked sinner above all others because he had a stroke? Uh, I don't. I knew my dad, and I knew uh, that he knew the Lord and that he loved the Lord. So today's miracle touches on this theme of when bad things happen to good people, what's the deal with that? First of all, first point in John chapter 9, verse 1, a wrong philosophy. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind. And it means simply, as you would imagine, the word blind in the Greek there means unable to see, possibly at all from birth. Unable to see, possibly at all from birth. Can you imagine his parents' sadness? Can you imagine having a child discovering that that child was blind? Discovering that that child was deaf. Some of you may have had that experience. Maybe discovering that that child wasn't, able to, wasn't going to be able to walk or wasn't going to be able to grow and to learn mentally or emotionally as normal children, as other children. Can you imagine the parents' sadness? So, so from the time of birth, their little baby could not see. Rabbi, which means master, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or because of his parents' sins? Those were the only two options they gave. It had to be because he's such a great sinner. I want to ask you something. How old is Georgia? Eight months. Has she, has she been caught in any deep sin yet in her life? No, no. Little babies are not capable of deep sin. They're not. They, I doubt she's stolen anyone's hubcaps. I, I, I'm pretty sure she hasn't vandalized anything. Well, maybe she, I don't know about that. But 
But to accuse, was it because of this little baby sin that he was blind? How insane, how, how unstable is that kind of thinking? More logically, but still inaccurately, theologically, or his parents? Was it because of his parents' sin that he was born blind? So this mistaken doctrine is that if something tragic happens in one's life, it's because of great sin that's in your life. The truth is this, that bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Bad things happen. And here it appears the disciples were more concerned, more filled with curiosity than they were compassion over this man's need. And so Jesus corrects the disciples' assumption in verses 3 through 5. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the works of God could be seen in him, so that the works of God could be manifest, made public in him, so that they would be visible and conspicuous to be made known apparent, so that people around will see that something happened to this man when Jesus came to his life. We must work, Jesus says. Kind of a, it seems almost at first like this is, he moves to a whole different subject here, but we'll talk about that in a minute. We must work for the night comes when no man can work. In other words, we must quickly carry out tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us because the night is coming when no one can work. But while I'm here, Jesus said, I am the light, the photos, which means to shine. I am the light of the world. You know, the, the moon doesn't give forth light. You understand that. It reflects the sun's light. Stars, on the other hand, suns uh, generate their own light. Well, Jesus is a self-generating photos light bearer. He shines, and the darkness cannot comprehend, cannot overwhelm, cannot overcome it. And we do this on Christmas Eve, don't we, here? We turn out all the lights as much as we possibly can, and we have candlelight, and the first candle lit. One candle up here in the front, one candle representing Christ coming to the world dispels darkness. And after your eyes take a moment to adjust, that one candle will begin to light up this room. It's amazing. And then as more and more candles are lit, uh, so it is. And we reflect the light of the one who shines, the photos of the world. So Jesus lets the disciples that neither one, neither this man nor his parents are great sinners. He doesn't mean they're not sinners because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it's not for some sin that they were judged with this blindness. Uh, and then he continues on a theme that he started in the previous chapter. That's why when he talks about, I am the light, I am the photos of this world. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me uh, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And as the light... As the light shining in a dark world, he doesn't focus the blame or fix the blame on anyone, but he offers grace to this man. He offers grace to this man's parents. The hurting prepared the man for the healing. Now, sin may result in illness. Uh, someone who does something they shouldn't be doing might get injured, hurt, or uh, otherwise affected. That can happen. Uh, working in the hospital I worked in, there was a young man who back, this would have been in 1966 or 7, who had taken LSD and in that altered state mentally hung himself. Uh, so certainly there was a physical result of, a, uh, of an action that was not responsible and was not a good action to begin with. But sin may result in illness, but we should never assume an essential connection. Because the person who can't 
breathe this morning is on a ventilator there, but for the grace of God, go I. A person who was in a car wreck, um, an automobile accident on Interstate 5, who's clinging, barely clinging on to life today, there, but for the grace of God, go I. <clears throat> Never ever think that we're above whatever. The focus here is not on the comfort of the creature in the case of the man, but on the exaltation of the creator, because something is about to happen that is life-changing. In verses 4 and 5, so he's clearly making a contrast between sight and light versus blindness and darkness, okay? And there's an urgency and a brevity of our lives on this earth. So what we do, folks, we need to do quickly. And I I told Pat yesterday, it dawned on me, what if someone, Gary, you ought to be able to identify with this uh, hugely. What if someone in, in February has been told you have this terrible disease and you've got six months to live? And what if COVID-19 is going on and they've got six months to live and they've had to live in this weird world uh, with all the stuff that's going on, not being able to go and do and and so on. Uh, And I I thought to myself, uh, how terrible would that be? Because life is so very short. Every once in a while on Facebook, something pops up and says, you posted this five years ago. And I'm going like, no, no, that was last year. That wasn't... Five years ago, I, I, I told you, I, I, every time I come in, I turn another page on my church calendar. Every time, I, it's like, what, what, what? Another month has gone by. My weeks, I told you, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Sunday. That's the way it goes. I read a verse this week. Maybe it, I, I kind of probably misapplied it, but, it, you know, except the days be shortened, none of the elections will survive. I thought, yeah, well, uh, they're being shortened right now because time is flying. And Jesus said, we got to work the works of him who sent us while it is day because the night comes when we won't work anymore. A familiar hymn written in 1854 by an 18-year-old Canadian girl, Annie Louise Walker, uh, focused on that, on the limitations of our personal service to God. You'll know the song. She said, work for the night is coming, Work through the morning hours. Work while dew is sparkling. Work mid springing flowers. Work when the day grows brighter. Work in the glowing sun. Work for the night is coming when man's work is done. What we do, folks, for Christ, we better do. Uh, We've we got to put aside this idea of, well, someday I'm going to start serving God. Someday I'm going to start putting God first. I really need to make this change in my life, and maybe I'll do it next week. Maybe I'll do it next Sunday morning. Maybe I'll do it next month or whatever. Now we see a strange cure, a very strange cure in verses, and made mud with his saliva and the dirt. Are you with me on this? And he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. I'm talking COVID-19 days here. Does that make you a little, uh, you know, creep you out a little bit? Spit in the dirt, take the mud, put it on his eyes. He said, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing, which meant recovering his sight, came back recovering his sight. And his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, is his neighbors, is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Is this the same guy? Can it possibly be the same guy that used to sit over there by the side of the street? And some said it was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar said, yes, I am the same one. I am that man. I am that man that sat there by the side of the road and begged because I was blind. And they said, wow, who healed you? 
What happened to you? And he told them, this man they called Jesus made mud and spread it under my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Now I want you to know something. It wasn't the clay and spittle. It wasn't the dirt and spittle that healed his eyes. It was his obedience to Christ's command. How many remember the story of Naaman the leper? In 2 Kings chapter 5, when a, when, when a young maiden who had been taken as a slave uh, had told Naaman, her master, uh, who had leprosy, said, I, I wish you were in Israel because then you would be able to be healed by the prophet that's in uh, Israel. And so uh, because Naaman was a, a military commander of great reputation, uh, the king said, uh, I'm going to send you and I'm going to send some gifts and so on, and I want you to go find this, uh, this uh, prophet uh, Elijah, and I want him to heal you. So he went into the land of Israel, made contact with the wicked king, and said, we need to see Elisha because I want to be healed from leprosy. Ahab thought, this is just a ploy. He's just trying to find a reason to declare war with us. So he sent us this guy asking for the impossible because nobody can cure leprosy. There is no treatment for leprosy. But through a set of circumstances, he went to Elisha. Elisha wouldn't even come out to see him. But Elisha said, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. How many of you have seen the Jordan River? Let me see your hands. How many have been to the Jordan River personally, huh? Is it this beautiful, crystal, clean rainwater? No. It's muddy. It's like Cricks and streams in Kentucky. I mean, to tell you, it's muddy, 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 muddy. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> here's Elisha saying, Naaman, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And Naaman got angry. Naaman said, we've got rivers in our land that are much, much superior to the Jordan River. And he gets ready to head home. He's mad. And his servants very wisely pointed out, sir, if Elisha had asked you to do something very hard, wouldn't you have tried to do it? And if that's the case, then why don't you go ahead and do something very simple? And so he turned back. He went to the Jordan River. He dipped in first time. Nothing changed probably. Second time, nothing changed, I imagine. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth time. On the seventh time, he dipped and washed in the Jordan River. He came out, and the leprosy was gone. Naaman was healed. Obedience made the difference. The name of the pool, Siloam, meant sent, and it was a reminder that Jesus is God's sent one, sent to this earth to seek and to save sinners, and that we have been commissioned by him to go out into the world and to make disciples of all people, teach and, and, and to disciple everyone in Matthew 28. Now, what happened next is predictable. If you've been in this series, if you've been paying attention, uh, his family and his friends and neighbors were astounded and full of questions to which he had very few answers. And my question for all of us is, have we changed enough when we came in contact with Jesus Christ that our friends and neighbors say, what happened to you? There's something different about you. I can't quite put my finger on it, but you're not the same person you used to be because that's what happens when we're in Christ. We become a new creation. He works in our lives, and things change. Not necessarily all at once. We're going to find out this man didn't all of a sudden have correct theology. I don't believe. 
but he was growing by every minute that he was remained that he was a Christian. I wonder how many times he had to explain to people what happened to him and what had occurred to him and how it was that he didn't know who had healed him, but that at least he knew he was healed. Now, now here's in verses 13 through 16, the usual suspects. This is where it was leading, okay? I mean, Jesus healed. Guess what? It's on a Sabbath again. Oh, it's on a Sabbath again. So who's going who's gonna to get upset about that? Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, right? Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man about it, so he told them, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God because he's working on the Sabbath. Everyone knows if you spit in the dust, that's work. Everybody knows that, right? And so it can't be from God. Others said, but wait a minute. How could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. So some of the Pharisees kind of lined up on, he's got to be something special. And the other ones were, no, he's just a, he's a sinner. He can't be from God because he worked on uh, the Sabbath again. So here we go again. Into the Pharisees, the religious elite of Jesus' day. And as the Pharisees investigated the healing of the blind man, their motives became more and more pure. They're kind of like modern-day evolutionists who reject a creator. These religious leaders had already determined that Jesus couldn't possibly have healed the man and couldn't possibly be from God. Forget the facts that supported a whole different conclusion. And that's what a lot of evolutionists do today. Forget the facts that support a different conclusion. When you boil it all down, you either came from an almighty God or you came from nothing. And how can something come from nothing? It's not possible, not scientific, but... That's another sermon for another day. So Sabbath day became the issue once again. Don't worry about the man with congenital blindness. That's not an issue. Who cares about that? It's the fact that Jesus worked on the Sabbath. There were three testimonies evident here in this text. Three different testimonies. The man said, I was blind, but now I see. And you know what? If you don't know anything else theologically, you ought to be able to tell people, I was lost, but now I'm saved. I don't know a whole lot, but I was lost, but now I'm saved. I, I didn't have my faith in Christ. Now I have my faith in Christ. Jesus was not my Savior. Now he's my Savior. He can save you too. He, there's not a sin that God cannot forgive and is not willing to forgive. Put your faith in Christ. You can say that. This man said, I know this. I was blind, but now I see. The neighbor said, we're confused. We don't have a clue. We're not sure what's going on here. The Pharisees said he can't be from God because he works on the Sabbath. So there was this deep division. But then we get into verses 17 through 23, the blind man's opinion about Jesus and who he was. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been born blind, demanded, what's your opinion about this man who heals you? What do you think about this man who heals you? And the man thought about it perhaps just a moment and said, I think he must be a prophet. Well, we just talked about Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king. And a prophet is someone who either foretells or uh, explains the words of God. I think he's got to be a prophet, the interpreter of God's oracles to man. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. <laughs> it is great. They called his mom and dad in. Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents said, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. 
but we don't know how he can see or heal him, or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. And his parents said this. Why? Because they were afraid that the Jewish leaders who'd announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. So the healed man's opinion is that Jesus must be a prophet. Now, think about this. There had not been a prophet for how long? 400 years. There had not been a prophet in Israel for 400 years until John the Baptist came on the scene. John the Baptist was, was a powerful prophet, explainer of the word of God. And, and so this was evidence of the formerly blind man's blooming faith. I believe he's a prophet. From I don't know who he is, I don't know who he was, I believe he's a prophet. And the parents' testimony was this. We know this. He's our son. He was born to us. We know that. He was born blind. We know that. We don't know how he can see. We don't know who healed him. Ask him yourselves. He's old enough to answer for himself. And they feared being excommunicated from the synagogue. In verse 24, we see heresy. Verse 24, so for the second time they called in the man who had been born blind, told him God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. There's your, there's your heresy. Jesus is a sinner. Jesus is like the rest of us. Uh, and you'll, every once in a while you read about some, some, and a lot of times there's so-called pastors or ministers who will talk about Jesus being tempted and giving in or living a, a, a life of immorality with Mary Magdalene or someone else or having a homosexual relationship with someone else or, or some ascribing to him sin. Because if somehow they can tear Jesus down, it makes them look better. It makes them feel better about themselves. And, and we're, we're guilty. Sometimes we attack those uh, around us who have achieved or who are or who are doing <clears throat> because if somehow we can tear them down, <clears throat> it makes us feel better about our lack of activity and our lack of accomplishment. That's a bad thing to do. It's a wrong thing to do, and it's certainly wrong to ascribe sin to him who knew no sin. We know that Jesus was considered an enemy by the Pharisees. They were already trying to plot how to put him to death and when to take him, when would be the best time. They were not concerned with praising God for the miracle. Rather, they wanted to place blame on Jesus. Therefore, anyone who claimed Jesus was the Messiah was cast out of the synagogue. And, of course, we have our modern-day Pharisees who claim Jesus was a sinner. Uh, but Paul said this, Christ knew no sin. Peter said he committed no sin. No guile was found on his lips. Peter called him righteous. The writer of the Hebrews says that Christ is holy, blameless, unstained, separated from sinners. James speaks of him as a righteous man, and John affirms that in him was no sin. Now we come to a part that I really enjoy that I probably shouldn't because the man gets really sarcastic. In verses 25 through 33, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they reviled him, they cursed him, in other words, and they said, you are his disciple, we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, we don't even know where this man comes from. And the man says, well, that's pretty strange, uh, he healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he, this sinner comes from, or where this person comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, 
No one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. So the man's faith has grown from I don't know who he is to I believe he's a prophet to I know this. I was blind and now I see. And once again, the Pharisees are probing for something they can use to accuse him. And he says, look, I told you once, why didn't you listen? Do you want to be his disciple? And they curse him for that. They claim to know Moses, but have no idea where Jesus came from. Now, look, he points out, and I checked in my book on all the miracles of the Bible. No one in the Old Testament that I could find, if I'm wrong, check it and let me know. No one in the Old Testament was ever healed of blindness. No one. Leprosy? Yeah. Other maladies? Uh, atrophied limbs? Yeah. Uh, but never was someone healed of blindness until the New Testament. <clears throat> so uh, he makes his point. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Now he, now, he does make an error, I think, personally. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. I believe that God listens to every sinner's prayer who cries out for forgiveness and cries out for repentance. I believe every sinner who does that, God hears his prayer. Then we see in verse 34, uh, the hypocrisy. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. If you can't support your opinion with the facts, just throw the guy out. Throw him under the bus. Facts get in the way of a lot of people's opinions and and a lot of people's uh, uh, philosophy. This is a clear case of the pot calling the kettle black. We were all born sinners. Only Jesus can remove us from spiritual darkness to eternal life. Faith, obedience, and healing all played a part in today's miracle. Now, look, I'm going to be quick to point this out. God doesn't heal everybody. God didn't heal everybody in the New Testament that was ill. God didn't heal all the blind people. God didn't heal all the lame people. God didn't heal all the deaf people. God didn't heal all of the people in the Old Testament who, were, who had physical maladies. He didn't do that. But in this case, obedience was key. Had this man not washed from the waters of Siloam, I believe he'd have been blind until the day of his birth, uh, death. Or, um, uh, well, I believe that he'd been, he would have been blind the whole time. Same way with Naaman, if he had not gone to the Jordan and dipped seven times. So faith and obedience all played a part in today's miracle. So the song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The only, guess what? Everyone can be healed from sin sickness. Everyone can be healed from the affliction of sin by turning to the one who forgives us of our sins, who died on the cross. For our, have you moved from darkness to light? Have you made that transition from darkness to light? Can you see with spiritual eyes? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this story. We thank you for this teaching. We thank you for this man who was born blind, not because he was a great sinner, not because his parents were great sinners, but because God was going to be glorified through him. And I thank you for Jesus who became not only his personal savior, but became his great physician and healed him. And I pray, God, for healing for people who are ill. I pray for healing for those who need a touch from you. But, Father, even if you don't heal physically, I know that you can heal spiritually. And we pray that you would do that because that's the most important kind of healing that we can receive. If there's anyone in this building or anyone who's watching online who's not sure that they have 
been to Jesus and that their whole lives have been changed, if there are those listening and no one's seen a big change in them, never seen a different, never asked, why are you different now? Then I pray that today would be that day as we come to you in childlike faith, by grace through faith, believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that he'll forgive us and be our Savior if we ask him to. So, Father, I pray that people would do that right now, praying something like this, Dear God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me your child. I believe that Jesus is your son. He died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again on the third day. And I put my faith and confidence and trust in him right now. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, save me from my sin. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed, with every eye closed for just a minute more. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you're at home or whether you're here in the auditorium, would you slip your hand up for just a moment? Hold it up real high for just a moment. Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I just put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if you've done that, may Christ be real to you. And may you grow as this man did every minute, every hour, every day, every week as God gives you life. And may we work while it's yet day for the night comes when no man can work. Father, bless us. God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for blessing us in ways unimaginable. Be with us this week. Help us to live transformed lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, Lord willing, be preaching on not so much faith and obedience and communion, so hope you'll come and take part in that. Let's stand together as our praise team dismisses us with a song today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for being here. See you next week.